some dangerous large uh, carnivore out there. Yeah, I saw that bird pick a young deer off the road and fly away. And uh, it was just about getting dark, and we started panicking, running down the bridge, not really having any clue of storing rocks in our vicinity, good-sized rocks. And uh, I stopped long enough to get a 357 out of my backpack and look back, and that's when I thought I saw one. Great. Well, Dan, um, 
for those you've done a lot of podcasts, radio shows, you've been on coast to coast, you've done a lot of things. But for for our audience here in Monster X, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and what got you into uh, this, this crazy uh, mystery uh, we know as Sasquatch? Yeah. Well, actually, it all started, and I, and I, and I you know, tell people this uh, every time I, I do a show. Uh, it all started back in 1967. I was a 12-year-old boy, and I used to watch the evening news with my parents. And uh, one night they had the uh, the uh, Patterson-Gimlin film on there, and I was just in total awe. Uh, of that uh, that uh, video that they uh, showed, and uh, that really piqued my interest. And so, all the way, you know, you know, through my childhood, growing up into, you know, through my early years, uh, I, uh, you know, did as much reading and stuff as I could on Bigfoot. And uh, uh, so then, a little bit later on, when uh, the internet came around, I started doing online research and everything. And then, uh, you know, further on down the road, as time went on. Uh, I joined a, a Bigfoot organization, and um, I was on there for a while, and uh, my wife and I decided that we were going to uh, uh, strike out on our own and start our own little uh, uh, Bigfoot organization, and actually, we're not really all that small anymore, uh, but, uh, you know, we started going out into the field and, you know, doing our our own research and uh you know things you know led you know from one thing to another and here we are today yeah it's really uh it the uh, american um you know your group the american prime and exploration uh it's really grown um and 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 stepped outside of the united states it's kind of you got quite a lot of researchers involved with this uh, mm-hmm. Do you mind talking a little bit, little bit about uh, those involved in, in some of your exploits? Yeah, well, we we wanted to spread out into different countries, and and so uh, you know I've contacted people from different countries uh, uh, to see if they'd be interested in uh, you know having a division of our organization in their countries. So uh, uh, you know they all accepted, of course, and uh, now we have uh, divisions in uh, Canada, uh, the UK. Uh, Australia and all the way down into Sumatra. Uh, they're hunting for Orang Pendek down there. Yeah, it's it's actually it's really uh, mind-boggling when you think of of this research stepping out of the United States for hominids and hominoids and and, uh, and you know these these mysteries that are out there, which extend outside uh, the continental United States, so around the world with the Yeti, the Yowie, uh, and and uh, you know. Uh, Things in Sumatra, you know, that uh, Cliff Berkman's working on and stuff like that. So it's pretty, uh, pretty amazing stuff. And it's, it's. I know you, you will agree with me. It's, it's a great time to be involved in in this subject and subject matter, and a pleasure working with a lot of different individuals. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, the fellow that heads up our uh, division down there in Sumatra's name is Dali Sandra Daputra. He is, uh, he has actually been the uh, uh, guide, one of the guides on expeditions for Cliff Berkman and Adam Davies. So, uh, you know, he's he's very well experienced. You know, he knows the jungle. And, uh, you know, I'm just really excited to have him down there. And then we have, uh, you know, our um, research going on uh, in Australia. They're hunting for the Yowie down there. And, uh, you know, they go into the rainforests on the east, uh, east coast of uh, uh, Australia. Uh, really interesting stuff going, down, uh, going on down there as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, and Dali. Dally out of uh, Sumatra. Uh, I know people will be like, "Oh, it's another one of these GoFundMe campaigns." But he Dally's actually 
asking he put on this GoFundMe for uh, to help extend his research in Sumatra, and it's one that I have to support because uh, the Oran Pendic is it's so fascinating, and I really believe there's something to it. And, and yeah, uh, I, and, I agree 110 percent. He is, uh, you know, he's about as genuine genuine as you can get. Uh, he's a great guy. He's very serious about his research, and uh, you know, I I support him as well. Absolutely, and, and I, I recommend. Uh, we'll post a link later to it, but uh, it, please uh, look at this uh, at Dally's, at you know um, what he's proposing here. Um, he's boots on the ground, and you know doesn't have a lot of funds, and has a great amount of area to research in, <clears throat> but is bringing back very compelling pieces of evidence. So please look that up and support Dally in Sumatra. Um, having said that, uh, Dan, uh, could you tell the audience? What exactly, um, you know, what exactly are you trying to do uh, as far as research? What is behind, um, you know, your your primate, or uh, sorry, excuse me, American Primate Exploration Group? What, what's what's driving you guys, and what are some of your goals? Well, we we really want to find, you know, evidence or hard proof, uh, you know, and try to uh, collect the evidence scientifically. Uh, you know, as far as collecting the evidence, there you know, there's a certain way that you should go about it. I mean, you know, just going out and and picking something up, uh, you know, off of the ground or pulling it off of a tree and sticking it in a bag is not a good idea. You know, you have to go about it the right way. Uh, you know, you should have uh, sterile uh, surgical gloves and. Uh, you know, if you use tweezers and things like that and put them in uh, sterile specimen bags if you're going to uh, try and get any kind of uh, uh, DNA evidence uh, that's not contaminated. But we, you know, I personally and, and, and several other people in APE um, have been studying uh, uh, early hominids and primates in an effort to try and uh, piece together, you know, uh, you know, pieces of this puzzle of what, uh, this creature, uh, Sasquatch or Bigfoot, you know, could possibly be. And, you know, the, the, the deeper I dig into the early hominids and the primates, the more fascinating it becomes. Um, so, uh, you know, I have seen some possible uh, parallels between, uh, you know, a couple early hominids and, and uh, Sasquatch, but, of course, uh, it's all speculation, and I can't say that any of it is fact. But that's what we try to do, and we go out and uh, uh, we have people all over the place. In fact, we have researchers all over the United States that are uh, going out in, into the field and, and doing the same thing as we do here in Ohio. So it's, uh, you know, it's uh, an ongoing effort to try and collect um, viable evidence that can be uh, uh, submitted to mainstream science for uh, scrutiny and uh, and and to see you know if if there's any possible connections. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I'm gonna ask you is part is that part of the reason you named uh, uh, your group American um, Prime and Exploration to because you know there's a uh, yeah because there's a bunch of groups out there you know you got Sasquatch groups Bigfoot groups there, it's it's very rare to hear primate or ape. Um, right. Well, you know. Uh, in, uh, you know, you have to consider this, and, and, and this was one of the biggest reasons that I named it American Primate. And uh, the reason I, I called it that is because we are all primates. Um, 
you know, the early, some of the early hominids, uh, for the most part, uh, were uh, primates. Uh, the great apes were primates. And so, you know, we, we encompass a great big uh, plethora, you know, of uh, species. And so, uh, you know, and I believe that uh, uh, Sasquatch is some type of primate, a hominid or hominoid, and, you know, would possibly or probably uh, fit into the same uh, category as uh, the rest of us. So that's why I named it uh, American Primate. Yeah, I, I really, I really do like the name, um, and I think it fits well. Because I, like you, I believe that we're dealing with some sort of some sort of unknown hominid primate uh, in that category. So it fits well. And, and you know, as a scientist, uh, not myself, but if I was looking at at a name, I might be more prone to go, okay, these guys may be looking at a little, a little different, a little more serious rather than the usual Sasquatch Bigfoot name thrown out there. You, you know, um, so. Kudos to you because I do think that's important. I really do. Thank you. Um, Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. But I, I wanted to ask you. You know, I read a while back that you um, you valued uh, field research. You really valued field research and, and found that it was it's very important to what as as part of research, but also that you thought equally important was the research of. Uh, anatomy, specifically when it comes to hominids, hominoids, early man, and and uh, modern man. Can you elaborate I, on that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the reason that I think it's uh, important to uh, uh, study and research anatomy is because, you know, you have so many reports of uh, Sasquatch and and uh, the physical characteristics of this creature, and you know, so many different reports. You know, the length of the arms, the you know, the legs, you know, the the femurs, and and then you get into uh, you know the massive jaws, the robust jaws, and and the uh, sagittal crests and all that kind of thing, and and then you you have to all so, you know, the, the creature is bipedal, uh, primarily bipedal, I want to say. Uh, and then you have to look at the, the pelvic structure and uh, as well as the uh, spinal column, cervical spine, lumbar spine, and, you know, uh, how, how things are all put together in order to uh, piece this creature together, you know, and, and try to put it in a category, uh, you, know, uh, you know, that would relate to other uh, hominids or primates, uh, you know, out there. So it's very, very uh, important to me to be able to study uh, anatomy, by, you know, and biology and, and how things are put together and, and, and things like that so that we can understand a little bit more, uh, you know, like I said, uh, of what this creature could possibly be. Mm-hmm. No, well said, and it, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, it's very important, I think, to, um, you know, Field research is awesome. You can learn a lot. You can obtain specific things, uh, pieces to the puzzle. But aside from that, you got to kind of try and understand what you're possibly dealing with and what a right. great avenue by studying the anatomy of not just modern man uh, and, and primates, but, um, you know, early man and whatnot. I mean, it's – it's uh, and I really uh, – you know, what you had said really – uh, sunk in with me, and I totally agree. So, uh, great job there, and, and uh, I encourage those um, to listen to what Dan said there. And, and if you are a field researcher or an enthusiast, you know, look into it because you can learn a lot, and you could take that what you know, uh, what you've learned on anatomy into the field. Especially if you find a, a uh, trackway or impressions or whatnot, you you could learn a lot 
as to what it was doing possibly or where it was going. So Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, you know, uh Dr. Jeff Meldrum, I know you've worked with him quite a bit and uh and uh collaborated with him. He uh recently, you know, helped put a Bigfoot skeleton together. Uh he mainly I think I uh, believe assists with the the skull and the skull that he um, I think kind of helped suggest uh, used in this skeleton was the, the uh, Paranthropus uh, boisei. Um, yeah. Yeah, correct. So uh, now you had some comments. I read this somewhere. You had some comments on the skull uh, used. Uh, you thought it was a, you understood why the skull was used. Uh, yes. But you had some comments on that that I, I thought were fascinating. Well, you know, uh, Paranthropus Boise, I, I, I kind of think that Dr. Meldrum was really looking into this in depth, really very in depth. And when you look at the skull of Paranthropus Boise, it has the robust jaw that people report. It has the uh, large brow ridge that people report. It has uh, the sagittal crest that people report. And, you know, there are, you know, a lot of other hominids, early hominids out there that don't necessarily have that. And so uh, I took it upon myself at one point to superimpose uh, the skull of Homo ergaster, or, or, or that would be the uh, African uh, Homo erectus over top of, uh, of that skull. And there were some similarities when it came, you know, slight similarities, I want to say, uh, when it came to... Uh, the eye sockets and the brow ridge. So, uh, you know, uh, Ergaster was a little more advanced than uh, uh, Paranthropus. But Paranthropus, um, you know, was only really about five foot tall. And I did a lot of thinking about this. How would a creature go from being five foot tall, uh, you know, to, to over eight foot tall? And, uh, you know, there, there are several ways, or at least a couple ways, that I think that that could happen. First of all, you have to understand that here, you know, probably, you know, 75 years ago or 100 years ago, uh, human beings, they averaged about five and a half feet tall. Uh, and so over, you know, that period of time from then till now, uh, the human race has actually gotten taller. You know, we now have people that average between 5'11", 6 foot tall, and some people are actually over 7 foot tall. So over a period of time, you know, what's to say that Paranthropus couldn't have gotten taller? Now, we're talking about a creature that lived probably in a neighborhood of 2.8 million years ago. And so over a period of uh, 2.8 million years, I think it's highly possible that this creature could have grown in, in stature. But uh, what I think is more probable is that uh, Paranthropus probably uh, uh, interbred with another species, possibly a more advanced species, that was taller, you know, during a period in the past, and, uh, you know, together the, the species uh, uh, combined, and that not only uh, gave them the opportunity to grow even taller, uh, but uh, have somewhat of a, more of the intelligence that we see in these creatures today. Uh, but Paranthropus, I think, was a very good uh, choice for Dr. Meldrum to use, um, because it seems to fit, uh, you know, some of, the, some of the reports that we get from people from the field. Like I said, the jaw, the brow ridge, and the sagittal crest. So it, it seems to just fit, uh, you know, in, into the right uh, uh, category of what, what we're looking for. 
yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. But you're also saying that, and, and I know you're just hypothesizing, it was just an idea right. and a very interesting idea. Um, but you're also saying we, in the fossil record and whatnot, we may be looking for an unknown species that Paranthropus may have, have, have uh, bred with. Exactly, and you know whatever you know whatever this uh, species could have been that it interbred with, uh, you know, and Paranthropus, you know, the, over a period of time, you know, they could have interbred. And, uh, you know, uh, a new, an entirely new species could have come about and, you know, uh, is, is uh, just evolving along a, a separate branch of the evolutionary tree that has yet to be discovered. And uh, we know that um, uh, there was uh, recently a, a tooth, a very large tooth from the Denisovans in a cave in, in Siberia, I believe it was. And they did a little bit of analysis on that and, uh, you know, some DNA studies. And uh, there's uh, another hominid, uh, an unknown hominid, okay, unknown hominid uh, that shows uh, some kind of DNA that I believe was in that tooth. So that's very interesting to me. And so uh, this unknown hominid, who, who who's to say that it isn't some type of relative of uh, Sasquatch or Bigfoot, but... Um, I, I think that what happened was, you know, all this, the, the, the uh, interbreeding and, and uh, whatever happened down in Africa prior to uh, what the scientists, you know, talk about the out of Africa uh, uh, theory, you know, where, where uh, uh, Ergaster, you know, uh, uh, and uh, let me see, Heidelbergensis came up out of Africa and they spread out across Eurasia. And so, you know, what's to say that this species didn't do the same? And uh, it has just never been discovered. Right. Yeah. And, and that tooth that was that was discovered in Siberia, it was it's a big tooth, and it's it very, just goes to show very you, very big tooth. And how many? Yes. Uh, in fact, it, it, they they are they're suggesting that it's so large that uh, the jaw or the mandible of that creature would have to be very robust as well. So, uh, you know, that's. That to me is very intriguing, um, you know. So, I, you know, I hope that they, you know, right now all they have is a, like I think a finger bone and, and a couple teeth. So I hope they're able to, uh, you know, uncover some more um, skeletal remains. You know, hopefully, you know, a, a skull or or something uh, that would allow them to uh, uh, come up with more of an idea of just exactly what this creature is. Yeah, it sounds uh, very much on par with the. Uh the whole deboggle with uh, gigantic this pit, uh, pixie blacksie, you know, with, with just having yes. pieces and not the whole picture <laughs> to the puzzle. Right, exactly. Yeah, so, you know, it's really, I mean, there are so many different ways and directions that, that all this, you know, can go. And, you know, I, you know, and I'm doing this uh, early hominid and uh, primate research, and, and, you know, I'm just, I'm not even, you know, Touching uh, the tip of a of a uh, you know a pinhead with uh, mm-hmm. what what possibilities could be so uh, but I'm going to keep plugging away on it but <laughs> yeah yeah please do uh, please do but you know uh, all, all these discoveries uh, that are I mean they're ma- they're made daily uh, we got just you know things coming out of Africa and and Siberia and all all these fossils uh it doesn't it's not mind blowing to me that there's many uh, undiscovered uh fossils yet to be discovered i mean we're finding them now but why in your opinion uh have we not discovered quite the same here in the continental united states uh you know to to uh, you know uh, what's your opinion on that 
Well, you know, I, first of all, uh, the the uh, the problem with finding anything here in the continental United States is uh, uh, the environment and, uh, uh, you know, the type of uh, uh, humidity and, 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 you know, the soil. Uh, you know, we have very acidic soil for the most part. You know, of course, you, you go out into the western United States, into the Badlands, and you find all kinds of dinosaur bones. Uh, and that area out there is perfect for the preservation of fossils. But for the most part, anywhere else in the continental United States, it is not a uh, fitting you know, uh, environment uh, to uh, preserve any kind of remains. Um, you know, it's very similar to uh, the uh, rainforest and the jungles in Africa. And, uh, of course, I, I know you're, you're probably sure, you know, you, you know that uh, there's absolutely no uh, remains of uh, gorilla, or not remains, but uh, fossil evidence of gorillas in Africa uh, because of the, the type of soil and the humidity and, uh, you know, things like that. So when a creature dies, you know, Mother Nature just takes it uh, uh, back into the earth and, they, and, and they, you know, they dissolve and disappear, you know. So, uh, and we have a very similar situations here and around the world for that matter. Um, you know, so uh, there has to be a specific type of uh, uh, environment and humidity. The soil has to be right, uh, you know, and it has to be, you know, kind of a, a dry type of soil. Uh, you know, the caves that they find, uh, the Paranthropus uh, teeth in China, uh, you know, have a, have a different type of uh, soil and stuff in them. It's, it's not like they're out where uh, all the uh, the jungles are in, in the forested area is, but they're they're like you know in a, in a protected environment in there. So you know uh, that is uh, probably the biggest uh, reason that we can't find you know uh, that kind of thing. Yeah, and I think it also explains why we really haven't found any um, bone evidence. I mean, any real hard uh, evidence of of you know Sasquatch bones in the United States. It, it, so exactly what you speak of, the humidity, the soil content, uh, the amount of precipitation we get in some of these areas. I mean, if you look at Sasquatch reports, Bigfoot reports here uh, in the United States, it, it's uh, it's in these areas where you do get rainfall and uh, greenery and not in, you know, the deserts. There's a few reports in the deserts. I'm aware of those. But really, I mean, the vast majority of these reports come from uh, areas where there's a substantial amount of rainfall. And, uh, you know, if if I was, I guess, if I was a Sasquatch, right, and I'm dying or whatever, I'm not going to die. I'm probably going to be like most other animals, go off in the deep, dark ends of the woods or whatever and die. I'm not going to be found. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, they're not going to, you know, go out and on the side of a road and just say, okay, I'm going to die and fall over. <laughs> but, <laughs> right. uh, yeah, you're right. They, I would I would say that they go off someplace and, uh, and you know, uh, you know, even some of the Native Americans used to do that. They would go off someplace to a special place and, and uh, die in a special place. So, um, yeah, I, I believe you're absolutely uh, correct in that. Yeah, I mean, uh, then there's, you know, of course, you got every other, you know, critter out there that likes to scavenge. And uh, oh yeah, um, yes, I think teeth though. Uh, coming across teeth is is more plausible than bones um and that's you know but still it's a needle in a haystack i don't think there's for me personally uh i think we're dealing with quite a rare creature i don't you know i don't have a number in my head but not uh as prolific as black bear and whatnot do you agree with that or oh yeah i do i do 
100%. I agree with that. Um, yeah, there's. I don't. I don't believe that they they are all that plentiful. I've heard people say, you know, there's, you know, uh, you know, anywhere from 20 to 50 thousand of these creatures. I don't think it's quite that many. Um, and I think a lot of the reports that you know are coming in are uh, quite possibly the same creature being spotted more than once. Um, but uh, yeah, I agree with that. I don't think they're quite as plentiful as the bear. And you know what? You don't see bears all that often. Uh, right. Really, when you, when you when you think about it, you go into the woods. And how often do you you come across a bear? You know, uh, if you go into the woods and you're making a little bit of noise and a bear smells you or sees you, it's going to take off for the most part. Uh, yeah. And these creatures would do the same. So it's very difficult to uh, uh, you know come across anything. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And like, do you mind speaking a little bit uh, on on your ideas of uh, you know how intelligence how intelligent, sorry, Sasquatch must be. Uh, the intelligence factor um, always comes up in my head as, you know, I'm not saying intelligent enough or uh, capable of building a fire like a Neanderthal, but, you know, what? Are, how intelligent do you think Sasquatch are? I mean, they must be fairly intelligent to avoid us. Uh, yeah, I, and I, do I think, things, yeah. Yeah, I think they have a self-awareness, uh, you know, which is, you know, something that we have as, as humans, a self-awareness. and um, But like you said, not quite intelligent enough to uh, uh, build fires and things like that. I, I don't uh, uh, necessarily um, uh, rule out the uh, uh, possibility of these uh, creatures using some kind of uh, uh, tools. And, and the reason I say that is, uh, you know, you can look at uh, the great apes, the gorillas, and the uh, chimpanzees, and uh, the orangutans. They all use tools to one extent or another, whether it's a sharpened stick or, you know, rocks to break open nuts and, and things like that. Uh, so, you know, I, I believe there's a possibility that they may use some kind of very crude tools, which shows, you know, uh, you know, a little more uh, advanced um uh, what I want to say, intelligence, uh, you know, because, you know, uh, the great apes uh, like the gorillas and the chimpanzees and or orangutans are, you know, uh, a lot more intelligent than, than most people would think. So I believe that, that you know, that's possibly something that we're looking at it's somewhere in the neighborhood of being having the same intelligence as, uh, uh, you know, uh, say like a gorilla. You know, we do have a, what's the, the, the gorilla that can sign uh, language, uh, Coco. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, so if we, if you have a gorilla that can do sign language, uh, you know, and, and learn like that, then uh, uh, I believe that Sasquatch has that type of uh, ability. And but a lot, I think a lot of the, uh, the the things that they learn are learned from childhood. They're they're you know uh, uh, passed down from you know parents to uh, younger generations. Uh, and uh, you know, just like uh, the Native Americans used to do, they would pass down their, uh, you know, traditions and things to the younger uh, Native Americans and teach them different things on how to hunt and uh, you know things like that. So I, I believe that's you know the type of intelligence that we're dealing with. They're not stupid. They're definitely not <laughs> stupid. Yeah, uh, I, that goes without saying. I, they're definitely not stupid. And and I, I agree with you with the tool use. I you know. Uh, I've seen enough evidence or possible evidence and and stuff, you know, with rocks uh, and sticks. Um, I look at known primates, you know, like orangutans, you know, which are my favorite uh, uh, 
uh, you know, uh, primate. I love orangutans. I, I sit there and watch them. They're, they're, they, right. they're, sol- <laughs> they're problem solvers. They use sticks. They use blankets. They can tie knots. They've been, uh, they, they watch people and learn how to whistle. It's, uh, they're amazing. They're just amazing. Uh, exactly. They are. And they really are. So, they truly uh, are. And, yeah. Yeah, so when it comes to the intelligence of a Sasquatch, I think we're dealing with something that has, you know, at, at least that level of intelligence. And you know they, you know, um, they have a natural uh, awareness. They're they are aware enough to know that humans can be dangerous, and they stay away from us. So, uh, but yeah, they are definitely not dumb. They're they're not dumb uh, creatures by any means. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you think Sasquatch are curious? Do you think that's why they're sighting I from do. time to time? Or yeah, I, I do. I really do. Uh, you know because. Uh, I think when, especially when I had my sighting back in 2000, I think it was 13 in June, uh, when I had my sighting there uh, and, and I, you know, panned my night vision over and I saw that creature standing there in between a tree and a, a sapling and it was kind of, you know, swaying from side to side, it was actually observing the three of us at, at, our, at our base camp uh, because it was looking straight at us. And so uh, I think they're curious, and, and, and what I think happened was we kind of spooked when we were on the backside of the, that ridgeline there uh, coming across on, on a four-wheeler. Uh, I think we kind of spooked this creature, and it came up over that ridgeline and then uh, eventually made its way back down to our base camp just probably right uh, after uh, uh, we returned to base camp and the other fellow left. And, and it was just standing there swinging from side to side watching us. So I do think they're curious. Um, I've, I've had, you know, other other things happen. We were out on a, on a weekend excursion, and it was about, uh, oh, maybe 1 o'clock or 1.30 in the morning, and I was using my parabolic. Well, I wasn't using a parabolic. One of the other researchers was using my parabolic, and uh, I was speaking some Iroquois into the, the, the woods because we kind of figured there was something around, something was kind of odd. So I started speaking this Iroquois rather loud into uh, the woods there. And every time I would say something, uh, I would get a response and a whistle. So I think that, that we were being watched again. So they're, they're curious. Uh, but, you know, that, that happened uh, probably four times. And, uh, and uh, finally the last time I said, you know, I'm, uh, in, in Iroquois, I said, uh, you know, I am aware of you. And, and after I said that, it stopped. So, I, you know, but very interesting stuff. And then, and then uh, it wasn't, I think it was last year, yeah, it was the last year, uh, Ray Gardner and uh, uh, myself and uh, Jer- uh, Jeremy uh, was, uh, we were up in uh, the woods and there were some, uh, uh, pecan trees, northern pecan trees up in this one part of the woods and there's real very thick, dense uh, brush up there and uh, I, and so we, we were walking away from where these pecan trees were and we came to a, a clearing and there was a maple tree right there and we were standing under that maple tree and um, we were standing there talking and uh, suddenly, you know, uh, Ray said that he saw something flying through the air and it bounced off of uh, one of the branches on that maple tree and came down and cracked me in the back of the head. And uh, it was uh, 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 one of those northern pecans, and it was all wet. 
and partially shelled. And so, you know, unfortunately, Ray, without thinking, reached down and picked it up. And, you know, when he did that, he contaminated it. But I think this thing was watching us, and it was just throwing those northern pecans at us, just probably just to get a kick or a rise out of us. But uh, there again, I think, you know, it's just, you know, a, a type of curiosity. I think it was probably, you know, a younger one just saying, ha-ha, I got you with a nut. But um, they are, well, they are up, very You bring up Go a ahead. good point, or, or point that I wanted to touch upon. Uh, you said you think it may may have been a younger one, I mean, and may, obviously. But do you think, uh, and I want to talk more about your original encounter but uh, or sighting, uh, but do you think that curiosity really involved the younger uh, juveniles or juveniles or just the younger Sasquatch, or do you think it's, it's across the board? I think it's probably uh, the uh, sub-adults doing that. And uh, we had one occasion where... Uh, uh, we were out in, uh, we actually went back to our tents one night and we were all sleeping and we had uh, recorders uh, going. And um, about 3 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning, uh, all of a sudden something started rustling around in our area where we kept all of our food and, and everything. And uh, it was opening up our, uh, our uh, uh, coolers and closing the coolers. And, and my wife had a a, uh, a box of plastic spoons and stuff, and you could hear something picking these spoons and forks up and shaking them, and I'd put it back down, and then it would shake it again, and it did that quite a few times. And then towards the end of the uh, uh, audio, we could hear a couple voices, and uh, one of the one of the guys happened to know somebody that was gonna, you know going to try and interpret what the voices said, so he sent the uh, the audio out and uh, this person uh, said that he believed that what they were trying to say was too bad him's got none though so and you know so yeah so i don't know whatever it was they were looking for we didn't have but um uh i th- I, th- I do think it was a couple of juveniles in there and we've had you know uh other occasions where i think you know for the most part the juveniles are you know they're curious and they're kind of mischievous but um, never, never had any kind of uh, uh, attacks or anything like that. Uh, just uh, you know, little mischievous kind of things. Yeah, well, it stands to reason. Uh, you know, uh, I would imagine. Um, not that it doesn't happen. I'm sure it has. But right. with the the adults, you, you you they tend to kind of know. Okay, I'm you know I'm just going to avoid humans. I'm going to stay away. I've been down this road where the juveniles don't have a lot of experience, and will test their boundaries and, and come out of curiosity and, and, and see what they can get away with. And, you know, um, as someone in chat said, you know, we're, we're in the woods, we're, we're interesting. We're kind of, uh, we're, you know, interesting in the woods, you know, the same way with uh, human children, um, you know, they, they have a certain curiosity and are always testing the waters and trying to see what, you know, uh, what they can do and what they can't do and how far they can push things. And I think it's, you know, the same way with these, uh, uh, creatures. What about aggressive reports? Have you taken in any aggressive reports, and what are your thoughts on on Sasquatch being aggressive or, uh, you know, uh, coming into camp or whatever, just being very aggressive? Uh, Is there something to that, or do you think they're really generally pretty docile? No, I I think there are aggressive ones. You know, they, you know... uh, uh, there, you know, probably uh, some of the uh, sub adults that are feeling, you know, big and bad and tough, and and you know, they just want to show everybody who's boss, and 
you know they will you know they'll throw rocks and scream and growl at you and and you know scare the the crap out of you and uh, but you know I I you know they always seem to fall short of actually coming in and causing any kind of bodily harm to anybody but uh, yeah I, I I do believe that that's you know that's probably the case it's probably like a young uh, sub adult male. And you know he's out trying to to, to uh, you know establish his own uh, uh, area, and uh, you know he's just telling you, hey, you know you're you're in my area, and you need to get the heck out of here. And uh, so I believe that that's entirely possible. Yeah, I mean, truly, we know little if anything about Sasquatch, and I often wonder uh, on those more aggressive uh, encounters, or as we as we perceive aggressive. Uh, of course, it may not be aggressive. We just may take it as aggressive. But those particular reports and encounters may revolve around a, a breeding season, uh, someone coming into a hunting area or an area where people haven't been in in a while. And, and uh, that's why they tend to be more aggressive uh, because maybe they're, you know, it's breezy. Their hormones are going, you know, uh, you know, they're showing dominance and everything else. Absolutely. Yeah, so I think that's you know basically you know when you, you know and then you stop to think about you know their elephants do the same thing the young the elephants do the same thing they get you know all big and bad and they're going to beat everybody up you know scare them off and everything so uh, I think it's just a natural uh, kind of thing that you know occurs. Mm-hmm. What, what what are your thoughts on infrasound? Uh, do you think uh, Sasquatch is, is capable of infrasound? And um, I mean, we know there are known animals that are capable of this. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, uh, um, elephants. Uh, we know tigers, and there's multiple animals that are capable of this. And we know very little about it, really. Uh, do you think uh, uh, Sasquatch is capable of this? Do they need need this? Well, you know, I think there's always that possibility. And I discussed this one time with Jeff Meldrum. And, and um, you know, we, we were talking about it, and he feels as though there's a, a possibility, just a possibility, that these creatures may have extra air sacs in their neck uh, that they can use to produce infrasound. And they would use that, you know, to uh, possibly stun prey, uh, you know, so, um, you know, or, uh, uh, you know, some type of, of uh, communication similar to uh, elephants. But um, yeah, I do. I do think there's a possibility that that they they would use it. Um, I've never experienced it, and, and and nobody on our team has to to the best of my knowledge. But uh, that I, I know that some people uh, say that they have. So um, you know, I'm not gonna. I can't rule it out. But I would say there's a good possibility that you know, quite possibly, some of them are. You know, they all they all can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, in the last. I would say seven to ten years, uh, the the notion that Sasquatch may be behind some of the um, missing people out there and some of the cases where there's, you know, uh, almost like a crime scene. Uh, is there any validity to that? Uh, do you, I mean, you know, there's some well-known authors and researchers that really uh, bring this to the public's attention. Uh, do you think... Uh, do you think that's a possibility, or is uh, are, are people jumping the gun on that? I I do somewhat have a little a little bit of um, a doubt about it, but uh, I I can't just come right out and say no. That's not you know that's not going to happen. Um, and the reason I have uh, a doubt about it is because you know there have been so many signings and so many encounters and so many opportunities. For these creatures to uh, come and abduct somebody, 
you know, and, and take them off, uh, that, you know, we would have a lot more people, including myself, uh, that have been missing. Uh, you know, so um, there again, we talk about the young adolescent males, you know. Uh, you know, maybe maybe that's a possibility that, uh, you know, one of those or several of those males have gone out and, you know, nabbed some people and, and carried them off. Uh, I know, uh, what's that gentleman's name that was uh, uh, supposedly uh, captured by one across the mountains? Uh, Osmond. Albert. Yeah, Albert Osmond, yeah. So, but uh, I, I don't know if his story is absolutely credible or not, but... Uh, right. Um you know, but there are stories like that, and um, but there again, you know, like I said, I, I kind of have, you know, a little bit of reservation when it comes to that, but I can't for certain say that no, that's you know, that's not, uh, you know, what's happening. Yeah. So. One of the things I find very interesting, and I'll be honest, I've n- I've yet to, with exception of maybe one time, smelt something in the woods I've not smelt before, uh, but you know. So, some of the Sasquatch reports, uh, uh, whether it's a sighting or not, people report a, a strange smell, uh, I mean, of death, of, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a really disgusting, trashy smell. And and uh, that stays around in a specific area, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and will dissipate. But what are your thoughts on that? You know, I have some ideas, but I'm sure, I'm, I'm pretty sure they probably fit in with what you're thinking as far as uh, these smells that are associated with Sasquatch. Yeah, I well actually I experienced that uh, the night of my sighting. Uh, and it was the most putrid, nasty smelling, you know, rotten egg, dead dog smell I ever smelled in my life. And uh, we were on that um, uh, four by four, and we were going across the backside of that ridge line, and that smell stayed with us for about 125 or 150 feet. It was just terrible. And as a matter of fact, we radioed up to the rest of the team that was up on uh, the top of the ridge line there, and they were smelling it as well. Uh, but I, I have a feeling that uh, what may happen is that these creatures may may possibly emit that uh, like a must or a, you know uh, yes if they get uh, scared or intimidated I think they may use that as some type of a, a defensive uh, uh, kind of thing you know to you know boy if you smell that you want to get out of there because it's nasty um, yeah but. Uh, yeah, I, I have smelled that, and it's uh, it's actually the most uh, putrid smell I've ever smelled in my life. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I have smelled something similar uh, without you know any other evidence to show other than I came across this real pungent, uh, really like you said, putrid smell. When I was uh, at the San Diego Zoo several years several years ago, I was visiting a, a gorilla expo, uh, you know, um, mm-hmm. where the gorillas were hanging out, and. Uh, and uh, I walked around the corner, and instantly I was hit with this really bad smell. And it smelled like burnt rubber and garbage. And right. as I got closer and closer, um, one of the uh, uh, one of the workers there said, "Hey, uh, you smell that, right?" I said, "Yeah." I said, "Well, that's that's the, that's the uh, male gorilla. He's about 40 yards over around the corner." And uh, it was it was putrid, and, and he was excited. She said he was excited, so he had this musk. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. he had he had so. Stands the reason I, I, that it's something the, that would be emitted, you know, from a gland, possibly like uh, gorillas do and other sure. primates. Uh, um, that that out of excitement or whatever, that they they uh, they they give off this this um, this smell. 
Yeah, I, I, I think what happened was we came upon this creature. We didn't see it, but I think we may have spooked it when we were on that uh, um, that uh, ATV, and, and it just cut loose. And, man, we couldn't wait to get out of there, but it was nasty. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, I think it's 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 very explainable, uh, possibly, uh, why this would be associated with Sasquatch. So, uh, mm-hmm. no, thank you for your thoughts there. Uh, sure. question that <clears throat> question that's been posted here is, uh, why in most cases where footprint, uh, footprint casts are taken, um, why is there really only, you know, and this does happen a lot, why is there really only one footprint found and not a pair or shown? Oh, boy, I'll tell you, you any what, thoughts that's... On that? That's a question I'd like to ask somebody too because it's a mystery to me. <laughs> and and you know yeah. we've I've 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 run across that and uh, you know we have an area that we call research area R three hundred six and we have run across that three times, three times we've run across that. Another time we ran, we came across several tracks at once, but for the most part we'll find one track and no more. And I have no idea what the heck. I mean you know I I know they can't fly, but. Um, I, I guess that a good possible reason is that they are flat-footed, and, and being flat-footed like that, you know, they can probably disperse their weight in a manner that, uh, you know, you're not going to get a deep impressions all the time, uh, depending on the substrate. Um, but, you know, all three of the, the footprints that we found, the individual footprints that we found were on the edge of, of lakes. And, uh, you know... And so we looked in, the, you know, along the edge of the lakes, you know, along the shoreline and all over the place, and we could not find anything else. That's a very good question. I, I would love to know the answer to that myself for sure. But I think it's probably yeah. got to do with uh, weight disbursement. Right. It's one I've pondered. Uh, you know, I have found some impressions, some very interesting tracks. And uh, what I have found is that, one, do I really know what I'm looking for? Uh, who's to say this thing? Took a step and didn't get down on all fours. Uh, am I, you know, and who's this? You know, some of the impressions I found, it's it's one trackway on a log road and then steps off into the brush. I'm not going to mm-hmm. find, a, you know, another way. Derek Randall's of the Lint Project has said to me that, you know, um, you really need to be a really really good tracker because you always find. You may not find another impression, but you could find out where this thing was going. Mm-hmm. And so I've I've really tried to research known animals and become a tracker. Uh, so sure. I can read uh, the, the subtle things in the woods that you you would just you know everybody's out there looking for these tracks and impressions. They find one, they go, oh okay, well I don't see another one. That's it. But I think truly, you, you, most people, including myself, don't really know what we're looking for or understand what Sasquatch is capable of it, getting down on all fours or or uh, whatever um, or no, that's, the that's, amount that's... Uh, the, the steps in between. How how far a step is it running? Is it walking? That's a very good point, getting down on all fours, because it would disperse the weight even more. Uh, instead of exactly. having two points of contact, you've got four. And so, you know, that disperses the weight, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, 75% more than, than it would be on just one foot. So uh, that's very good thought. That's a very good thought. Now, the, uh, what are your thoughts on the sagittal crest when it comes to the skulls? Uh, you know, we were mentioning... Um, Philanthropists, I mean, had a statical crest. Do you think Sasquatch does indeed have? I mean, a lot of the reports report that, but there's other reports that report no crest, uh, or mm-hmm. people just misidentifying, you know, misidentifying what they're really looking at. 
Well, you know, I, I think it's probably uh, uh, quite possibly the same as it would be in, uh, say, like the gorillas or even the chimpanzees. Uh, uh, the males, for the most part, uh, show uh, sagittal crests, and uh, the females don't. Uh, so it, it could quite possibly have something to do with that. So, you know, uh, when you see one with a large sagittal crest, the, the, you know, I would say that you're probably looking at a male. And you know, uh, and then one without it uh, would would quite possibly be a female. Um, but you know those you know those sagittal crests they uh, they anchor just enormously powerfully uh, strong uh, uh, temporalis and masseter muscles. You know for for chewing. But um, it's just uh, I think it's you know quite possibly a, a resemblance or, or you know a feature that is very similar to uh, the great apes. Mm, great, great point. Absolutely fantastic point. Yeah, and and a lot of these uh, during these witness encounters, I mean, we're talking about a fleeting glimpse. Uh, trying sure. to take all the information at once is is near impossible, and you kind of you're 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 taking away what what you saw and, and trying to wrap your head around it. I think, you know, like you said, you know, uh, do the juveniles like especially the males? It does something that develops over time, like within. Um, you know, gorillas, uh, what are we looking at? Are you looking at a female, a male, a juvenile? You know, that that's a great point. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so that's, there's, there, you know, there, that's something to consider if you ever have, you know, the, a, a good uh, sighting of one. So. Okay. Now, the nose with Sasquatch, uh, one of, you know, with Meldrum's, uh, with that Bigfoot skeleton that Meldrum helped assist in using mm-hmm. the Paranthropus boisei, uh, you added a, a no or a hook, uh, more of a hook nose uh, in nose, your, yeah. yeah, hooded nose. Sorry, thank you, hooded nose to the the uh, picture um, that I thought was interesting and make it a little bit more human like. Yes, and it, exactly. it, it it fit in with a lot of reports. Yes, it did. And and when I was you know uh, doing my research on that and, and I was looking at the nose on that and I'm thinking, well, you know what? I wonder what this creature would look like with a hooded nose. So I was able to uh, take a, a hooded nose from another creature and actually uh, put it over top of uh, the cape nose of the Paranthropus, and it made a tremendous difference. And like you said, it falls in, in line with uh, a lot of uh, uh, witness, you know, eyewitness uh, reports of, of what they saw. So I, I was blown away when, when I saw that at first. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought it was very interesting. I just had to wonder what would be the advantages of of that sort of nose for a, uh, you know, for a Sasquatch in the woods. Do you have any thought on that? Well, I, I would imagine, you know, in, in the type of uh, uh, environment that we live in, you know, it would help, uh, uh, especially in in the winter time, to help you know heat some of the air coming in and out, uh, you know, of, of the nose versus a, a cape nose where. Uh, you know, it's just, you know, not really protected, you know, or anything, uh, and the air just, you know, flows in and out. Uh, but I, I, you know, and then you, you stop to think about the, uh, the, the noses on a Neanderthal. They had enormous uh, noses. And, and, and uh, you know, a lot of people said, that, you know, the same thing about them, you know, that it had something to do because they lived in such a cold climate uh, for the most part. Uh, and and so um, it may have something to do with an environmental change of uh, you know where the, where they live. Now I do know also that there have been reports of uh, Sasquatch with uh, with the uh, the hooded or not hooded but cape nose. 
right and now. so I think there's a, a possibility that we're dealing with uh, more than one uh, species or subspecies. So, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's difficult to say for sure, you know, what advantage one might have over the other because, and I've heard this around here, for the most part, the sightings in this area are of creatures with a hooded nose that have a Neanderthal-looking uh, uh, face. But we have had other reports of them having a, uh, a caped nose like a, a great ape. So, um, you know, you have, you know, two possible species in the same area. So, I, I, you know, that throws the whole environment thing right out the window. So, uh, right. So then we're, we're yeah. right back to the drawing board. <laughs> <laughs> Which is usually where we end up, uh, <laughs> but uh, we keep on um, going back to that drawing board. Uh, right. But it, it, taking everything into account. Now, since we're kind of on the subject of, of you know, the anatomy of Sasquatch, different parts of, the, uh, you know, Sasquatch, you, you found a handprint several years ago. Uh, yes. In the snow that uh, has been posted around, and I, I, th I thought it was very interesting. Uh, and uh, do you mind talking about uh, how you came upon that? Well, and, actually, uh, you know what? You're not going to yeah. believe this, but we uh, it was in the middle of the winter time, and you know, my mother and uh, uh, my wife and I wanted to go visit uh, uh, the uh, cemetery where my dad is laid to rest, and um, you know, we just had uh, some some uh, you know uh, quite a bit of snow and. And uh, luckily, I have you know my four-wheel drive truck. So we drove. And this 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 uh, cemetery, you have to understand, is out in the country. And so we we got done, you know, uh, visiting my dad's grave and stuff. And we were we were leaving the uh, cemetery, and I drove around the corner uh, of this road, and there was a a, a big uh, like a snowdrift uh, off to the right-hand side of, of my truck. And I noticed it immediately. And I said, Holy crap. Uh, you know, my wife is something. I said, there's a big handprint in there. And so, uh, I, I immediately got out of my truck and I went over and I saw this handprint in there and it was easily, uh, two and a half times larger than mine. And it, what is amazing is that three of the fingers were dug down into the snow along with the thumb and the little finger on the outside of the hand was just kind of laying across the top of the snow. And um, it was just enormous. Of course, you've seen the pictures and, and, and yeah. stuff. Uh, that, that, and, and the palm of the hand it, it was more broad, short and broad. And uh, um, I, I should have uh, taken better pictures, but I was so excited at the time to get this thing, you know, that, that I didn't get really great pictures of it. But uh, I think you get the point after seeing the picture. Uh, but here's something else that's really very interesting about it. When I was looking at those finger impressions in the snow, the fingertips appeared to be somewhat pointed. Okay, so when I came back home, and I thought, I've seen that somewhere before. And I had a hand cast here that I got from Jeff Meldrum that was made by Paul Freeman. And when I look at that hand cast, lo and behold, those fingertips come to kind of a point. So, wow, that's awesome. You know, unfortunately, too, the, the fingertips on, on that cast were uh, incomplete because when Paul poured uh, his mixture, it was too thick and it didn't go all the way down in two of them. And, uh, but anyway, and then I came back from, from looking at that, and I went online and I looked at a, at a male gorilla's hand, and holy crap, there were similarities there, too. 
So uh, that handprint that I found in the snow is, uh, uh, to me, it's just absolutely amazing, uh, first of all, because of the enormous size of it, and then uh, the similarities to uh, the other hands that I've seen in, in the cast and stuff. So um, very, very did, did you get an impression as to how old that handprint was? Because, you know, a lot of people will come at you going, well, what about snow melting, enlarging it, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, well, I, I, I got that from a lot of people, but that snow was relatively fresh, and, and it was cold out there. So, uh, and and so, and it wasn't late in the day where the sun had an, an opportunity to shine on it a lot, and you know, enlarge a human's hand. If that was a human's handprint, he had to be a big guy to begin with. Big um, guy, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and, and his fingertips had to come to a point. So, uh, but. Uh, uh, it, it was relatively fresh snow. It was very cold out there. I don't think it had an opportunity to thaw out, and if it did, it wasn't very much at all. Um, gotcha. So uh, I was, that, and that was something that really just, I mean, you know, how lucky can a person get, you know, uh, than to, to come up on a handprint like that? I mean, that's that was a one in a million. Oh, uh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I'll probably they're, never they're, they're ever very, have the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, there's very few of those out there, and. Uh, but I did find it very compelling. It was it's very interesting hand impression, and uh, you know uh, they're so rare to come across exactly. one. Yeah. Well, what about the thumb placement? Uh, that's something I always find very interesting when it comes to uh, the very few Sasquatch, possible Sasquatch uh, hand impressions. Is the thumb placement? What, what what did it show? It showed a possible opposable thumb. Uh, it's very you know not not exactly like a human's. But uh, uh, similar to, uh, well, a, you know, gorillas have opposable thumbs. Uh, something similar to a gorilla. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, we have uh, the the opposable thumb that's, you know, uh, more capable of grasping. Uh, uh, how do I want to say this? Um, we can grasp things more firmly and more. Um, Say like if it was something around, we can actually kind of wrap our thumb around it and and, and grasp it that way. Uh, this was uh, it seemed to appear, it seemed to be uh, opposable, but I don't believe that it had the ability to uh, say if you take your thumb and, and touch your uh, little finger. I don't think it had the ability to go all the way to that little finger, but possibly the first uh, couple fingers. So uh, that that was uh, you know really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. I often wonder, because I have had a rock-tossing uh, incident uh, mm-hmm. back in 2011, how Sasquatch mm-hmm. would hold a rock and how it would toss it. You know, um, I would assume it would toss its sidearm, um, but, you know, I'm not rolling out overhead. But, it, you know, a lot of these reports, uh, you know, this during my particular incident, uh, it just missed my buddy's tent. It didn't hit the tent. It just missed it uh, by a couple of feet. And I think that was probably on purpose. I think if something wanted to hit the tent, it would have, because there's oh, three absolutely. different tents. Three. Yeah, okay. yeah. We've had rocks thrown at us, and they they landed all around us. And I think you're right. If they wanted to hit us, we could have been, you know, injured pretty good probably. Um, but uh, yeah, I agree. And and with right arm throw, I would have to agree with that as well, um, because the musculature of these things, uh, you know, as massive as their muscle muscles are. 
you know, they have these huge deltoid muscles and uh, uh, the tra trapezius muscles and stuff, and it would uh, limit the ability, uh, in my opinion, uh, for them to raise their arm, you know, uh, like a human would and throw overhand. Uh, so I, I agree with you as far as them throwing sidearm. Yeah, but uh, no, I mean, that was a fantastic find. Uh, uh, really one of the million find. Uh, if you find another one, I'll be floored because I've, I've yet to find anything. Uh, I found plenty of uh, uh, impressions and tracks. I've never found anything quite like that. And I've been in the snow, and I've looked for stuff like this. Um, I, I mean, it's rare to find. Uh, you do find other known animals, but even bear, I can, you know, for me, are, are sometimes rare to find. Uh, sure. But uh, to find something of that, uh, uh, you know, uh, that kind of find is it's pretty uh, pretty amazing, and, uh, and, and kudos <laughs> for being wide oh, open I, on that one. <laughs> Eyes wide I, open. You know, if I ever find another one like that, boy, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, send it to the Smithsonian or something, but uh, it's, <laughs> I don't think I'll ever find another one. That was, like I said, you know, a one in a million uh, find there. So, um, and like you said, they are extremely rare. So. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you also, you, uh, I believe, had a chance to host um, Dr. Igor Bertsev, uh, you know, who's a Russian hominologist. Yes, yeah, yeah. Igor is a very interesting man. He is. He really is very interesting. And uh, you know, he, he he was here for four days uh, with my wife and I. And uh, Igor spent the entire time researching. Uh, we we did get an opportunity to talk on on numerous occasions, and uh, but he spent uh, the the bulk of his time researching. The man is extremely dedicated to what he's doing. And uh, yeah, he's he's very a uh, very interesting man. He has uh, uh, some theories that I don't uh, necessarily agree with, uh, but uh, yeah, he is a very interesting man, and he and he has come across some very interesting uh, evidence as well. Well, yeah, he's you know he does uh, predominantly most of his research out of Russia. Yes, and uh, but he does come to the United States as he did this trip here. Um, what did you take away from Igor? I mean, he's been involved. With, he was involved with the uh, Melba Ketchum study. Um, mm -hmm. He was involved with a lot of stuff here in the United States. Uh, but what did you take away from Igor? Uh, and were there any similarities that uh, into what he's researching out there in Russia to what we're researching here in the United States? Uh, yeah, he showed me quite a few uh, photos of uh, various stick structures that resemble uh, a lot of the things that we find here in the United States. Uh, uh, he showed me a, a photo. In fact, I had he, he gave me some of these photos uh, of a, a very large, uh, like a pine tree, uh, that had fallen, and something had come along and taken the branches on this pine tree and laid one, broke broke them off and laid one right over top of another one, kind of like you know crisscrossing uh, going up this tree. So that was that was very interesting, and I and, and I think that that. In order for a human to do that, you would have had to have been an extremely powerful person. Um, and he, he showed me also some uh, things where uh, some of the, the folks there in Siberia ha have had their horses' manes braided. Uh, but the thing about these braids is, and I have some photos of this as well, these braids didn't start at the top of the mane and work their way down to the end. They started at the end and worked their way up. I have no idea 
how you would have done that. But it's very interesting, and I've got I've got some photos of that. Um, there was a, another gentleman that uh, that uh, he had a, a sighting uh, there, and he. Uh, he uh, had an artist uh, draw a sketch on a piece of, uh, I believe it was birch bark, and um, this uh, creature that he drew is very similar to what we see here in the United States as well. So I think there are a lot of similarities, as you know, uh, what they're you know uh, um, uh, researching there in, in uh, Russia, uh, as to what we are we were researching here. It's you know very similar. Hello. I lost him. Sorry about that, uh, Dan. I had to oh. cough, so I muted myself. <laughs> I'm a little bit under the weather, so I apologize. But did Igor, uh, did he happen to discuss with you uh, his thoughts on what we're possibly dealing with here in the United States compared to what uh, maybe he's dealing with in Russia? Yeah, he – and this is where, uh, you know, I had a hard time um, – with with what he is uh uh talking about he uh, he seems to believe he he told me that at one time he thought that they were uh some type of descendant from a neanderthal and you know and I can kind of live with that a little bit but now he says he believes that they are uh some type of uh hybrid uh, uh alien okay you know that sometime in the past uh uh, you know, uh, some kind of aliens came down, and somehow they interbred with uh, Bigfoot, and that's what we have today. Uh, he believes that they have telepathic powers, and uh, they can, you know, use telekinesis and and things like that. And uh, you know, he's talking about the cloaking and stuff like that. And that's, you know, yeah. that's that's extremely difficult for me uh, to follow. I or not follow, but swallow. I I just uh, um, I think along completely different lines, uh, you know, when it comes to that. But those are, those, I mean, you know, and he's entitled to, to his thoughts and his opinions, and, uh, you know, he, he's shown me some photos that he thinks, uh, he called it a phantom, uh, you know, of, of a, some kind of a object behind a tent, uh, and, it, and it remained there behind this tent uh, as they were taking pictures, uh, you know, during this whole time when they were out researching, and then you know, it just disappeared. But I have no, you know, there's there's really no explanation uh, for what that what it was, and, and you know, and I did look at it, and uh, but he he said that it you know it moved very slowly, but I didn't see any evidence of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, two things I appreciate. One is is that uh, you, you you know we as you have done, chose to kind of disagree with with another researcher had to put forth. Just disagree with, but you didn't attack the guy. You know, it, you know, everybody. Uh, oh, I would never do that. You know, no, I, I would never yeah, do that. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't do that either. I think it's it's useless. It's a waste of time. It's okay to disagree with people because in the end, um, the proof's in the pudding. And what ingredients are you adding to to the, the pudding? So uh, sure. it's really about. Uh, you know, doing your own research and being focused on that, and as you as you do yourself, right? Exactly, and you know, it's like I said, I don't, I don't, uh, you know, I don't agree with him, but you know, he's still a great friend of mine, and so, uh, but you know, he has his, uh, you know, uh, theories and and speculations, and and so do I, but they're just different. Yeah, exactly. 
exactly. You know, I've never, never, I have friends, and I know of others that kind of fall in line with uh, Igor's thoughts. I personally never, and I spend a tremendous amount of time in the woods and remote areas, never experienced anything like that. Uh, everything I've experienced uh, was either, either explainable or fit in with the realm of, of a flesh and blood creature doing its thing. Uh, right. And, um, you know, I, I'll refer back to. Uh, my uh, sighting back in 2011, you know, when it comes to infrasound, I'm going to touch upon this real quick. Okay. I mentioned on the show before, but I, uh, you know, during that encounter, uh, I was, I was, uh, you know, I don't mind saying this. I was petrified. I was scared out of my mind. I had two other guys. Oh, with yeah, me and sure. I, I was freaked out and I felt paralyzed for a, for a minute, but it really was just the fear taking over. And, and I, I was just in shock and awe. Once I, uh, once I walked myself out of it, uh, kind of, you know, okay, you're you're still alive, and nothing's going, you know, you, you yeah, know right. I, I managed to walk myself out of it, and I felt fine. You know, days later, I felt fine, so I wasn't zapped. What I did fear or feel was an adrenaline adrenaline rush and tr- tremendous amount of fear uh, because I'm yeah. in the middle of the woods, uh, remote. Uh, and though I had a weapon on me, I just didn't feel comfortable. I felt like I was maybe in some trouble dealing with something unknown. Well, well sure. I mean, have you, you know, ever and, felt that before? I was. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, the night after I had my sighting, you know, when, when it was all going on, when all the activity was going on and, and I had my sighting, you know, there was all kinds of excitement. And like you said, adrenaline, adrenaline build up. But after it was all over with, and we went to our tents to go to sleep for the night. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep. <laughs> I, I was freaked out. And um, my wife and I, we used to have this uh, big air mattress that we slept on in our tent. Well, I spent the night sitting on the end of that air mattress, seeing this thing over and over in my head with my pistol down between my feet. Uh, you know, and I was freaking out. Um, you know, yeah. So it's... Uh, you know, you want to see one, you're, that's what you're out there for, but you're not prepared for it. And you do get that overwhelming um, anxiety afterwards. Yes, know, the, yeah. Like a rush. And uh, But, yeah, it's, I understand exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it's, you know, for those, you know, imagine having a bear come into the camp, right? And you know it's a bear, but you know what? That bear's in camp. That's a, that's a little freaky, especially if it won't go away. And I've right. had this happen, you know. Uh, it won't go away. We're dealing with something known, but you still get that adrenaline rush and that little bit of fear. Imagine dealing with something you know is not a bear, uh, and you know – well, you don't know, but you, you're pretty dang sure it's it's a Sasquatch or something unknown you've never dealt with before, and it's acting like nothing you've ever experienced before. Uh, your fear factor will go to 10. Your adrenaline will be rushing, and yep. – You'll, you'll 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 feel fear like you've never felt before. It's like a horror movie. Uh, I was on high got, alert yeah. the rest of that night. I was on high alert. I really was. Right. Well, yeah. Let, let's you know. I know you've discussed this a lot, but let's talk about your 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 counter back in 2013 a little bit, uh, and and how how that's um, uh, brought you know progressed with your research. Let's let's uh, talk about that a little bit. Well, it, it all started off, and it's, it's kind of a long story, but it all started off we were going to research this area because the, uh, the property owner there has been having some really strange things happening. Uh, something kept beating on, on their, the side of their house late at night and uh, waking their whole family up. And, uh, you know, uh, and it happened on numerous occasions, and, and uh, he kept finding uh, 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 tree breaks and things like that on his property, and his dogs would go nuts and everything. So 
he asked us to uh, come and research uh, his area and uh, uh so this one on this one occasion uh we got there uh, well, it was about nine nine o'clock in the morning uh, we rolled into base camp there on his property and uh, one of the other researchers came running up to our car and he said you guys got to see this you got to see this you know i think i found a footprint so we, you know, my wife and I hurried up and we jumped out of the car and I grabbed my walking stick and we went up into the woods, probably about 250 yards away and maybe 30, 40 feet up into the woods. And uh, right along this, uh, 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 like an old rotten tree stump, uh, was uh, a uh, an impression, uh, a track. And uh, a really interesting track because you could see where the toes, uh, it had rained like three days straight prior to us going there, by the way. And so the ground was extra soft. So uh, you could see where the toes actually slid down into the mud uh, and made uh, like a, uh, you, you know, they talk about the mid-tarsal break. There's a pressure ridge in, in the foot. It made that kind of an impression in the mud. And so we were standing there talking about this, and, and then just as we uh, were talking about it, another researcher came up with his son, and uh, they went up into the woods another, oh, 15, 20 feet and found another track. I mean, this track was only, the first track was 13 inches long. The second track was nine inches long, but what was really strange about this is the second track had a, a really long protruding middle toe. Really strange. Uh, so we'd never seen anything like that before. But we, you know, we cast the, we cast those uh, tracks and uh, we went went about our business. And you know, we spent uh, some time back at base camp and stuff. And later on in the day, we went around. We found some other you know possible evidence and everything. So later on at night. Uh, the uh, property owner has four wheelers, and uh, on the back side of the ridge line that I was telling you about earlier is a swamp. And uh, earlier, uh, on an earlier uh, occasion, uh, some of the researchers were back there uh, late at night in this swamp on, on ATVs, and uh, the, uh, they, they were just sitting there. The ATVs weren't running. And uh, from, from behind them, uh, in the dense uh, brush, they got growled at, a really deep, low, guttural growl. And so they, you know, they started up the ATVs and they got the heck out of Dodge. So uh, the property owner was taking me around because I, I don't walk very well because I have, uh, you know, MS. So he was driving me around so I could, you know, get some uh, some photo evidence and things like that. And so I, I told him later on at night that I would like to go back, and you know, down along the, the, the swamp area where they had gotten those growls. And, you know, this time I wanted to take my audio recorder with me to see if I could pick up any audio. And he really didn't want to go uh, because he was kind of freaked out about going back there at night after he got growled at back there. So I finally talked him into it, and we went up over the ridge line and down over the, the backside. And as we got close to the bottom of the ridge line there where the, uh, the uh, swamp started, uh, he said, you know, he said, Dan, he said, I hope you don't mind. He said, but I really don't want to go back there into that swamp. And he said, I just, you know, he said, I'd rather just, you know, go along the backside of the ridge line and, and go back to base camp if you don't mind. I was, I was pretty uh, disappointed, but I said, you know, okay. So we started going uh, uh, down along the, the backside of that ridge line, and I'd say 150, 200 feet uh, down from where we turned uh, is when we came into that really nasty putrid smell. And... Uh, so, uh, and we were driving through that, and, and he gets on the radio, and he's talking to the guys up on top of the hill, and he says, we got this nasty smell down, down here. And they said, yeah, we, we can kind of smell it a little bit up here, too. So, uh, like I said, about 125, 130 feet, we, we drove through that, and we, you know, 
and, and, and I said to him, I said, you know, I said, I got a feeling we're not alone. And and that was a bad thing to say because it scared me. And he hit the gas on that thing. And uh, we're flying through the back, you know, the back side of that ridge line and up over the, the hill on the far side. And we come down. Earlier that day, we, we were on that, that trail, by the way, and there was a, a fresh tree uh, broken and thrown across the trail that, the, that they use uh, for their ATVs. And uh, still had green leaves and stuff on it. And uh, so we, and then later here at night, as we were coming back, you know, after you know he got spooked on the backside there, uh, uh, we we came up to where that tree was, and there was yet another tree that was broken off and laying on top of the first tree. So you know that that really freaked him out. So we we went out around those trees and we went back and we were going down, you know, through this field on our way back to base camp and. Uh, he, he's going like, I don't know, I, I didn't know if an ATV could go so fast, but uh, I was like a rodeo cowboy on a bull on the back of that. And uh, But we finally, we made it back to base camp, and he's on the radio, and he's talking to guys up on the ridge line and telling them what we saw and everything. And uh, the leader of the, the, uh, the uh, group that was up on the ridge line says, you know, it, I'd, I'd like to have you come up and get me. Can you come up and get me? And he, he didn't want to go. I mean, he just flat did not want to go. But uh, they finally talked him into it, so he took off, and he's really flying on this thing. So he disappeared, and about five minutes after he was gone, uh, my wife and the property owner's wife and myself were sitting at base, uh, base camp there around the campfire, and there was a pavilion right there. They had a pavilion out here in, in, in this, this property out here in the country. And we were we were sitting there and all at once we could hear what, a, a, you know, appeared to be bipedal footsteps in a tree line about, oh, 35, 40 yards uh, away from, from, you know, where we were sitting. And I, and I looked at the ladies and I said, did you hear that? And they both said, yeah. So I jumped up and I grabbed my uh, night vision and, and I walked over to a corner of uh, that pavilion and I leaned up against one of the poles and um, I started panning from right to left, and, and when I got to about my uh, 10 o'clock position, uh, th- there that thing was, and it was standing uh, in between a large tree and a kind of a sapling, and it was it would sway from side to side and stop. And, and when I first saw that thing, I said, oh, my, you know, because it, it kind of like freaked me out. Well, my, my wife jumped up, and the property owner's uh, wife jumped up, and uh, my wife handed her a flashlight, and my wife's trying to get on the radio to, to contact the other guys up on the ridge line, you know, to tell them that we had a, a siding going on. And um, But she was flashing that, uh, shining that flashlight up into the woods, and she could actually see this thing swaying from side to side, too. And, uh, you know, which was, and it was kind of messing up my night vision, you know, because that light would interfere with the night vision a little bit. But I could still see this thing swaying from side to side. And finally, uh, you know, as luck would have it, my wife wasn't able to contact those guys because they were on the back side of the ridge line, and uh, radio contact was was nil. It just, you know, um, you, know you, you have those radios that are kind of a line of sight kind of thing. But anyway, she was finally able to get hold of them, and uh, they came flying back to a base camp. And, well, for some reason, I looked away for a few seconds from, from where this uh, thing was, and when I looked back, it appeared to be gone. Uh, but, uh, you know, there was a lot of excitement going on, and the property owner's wife took uh, the other guy over, and, and she was pointing up into the woods where, uh, you know, I had seen this thing, and, and she had seen it as well. And uh, he had his night vision, and he uh, started looking up in there, and then, and then all at once he said, hey, Dan, he said, uh, grab your night vision and come here. 
So I went over there, and and he pointed up there into the woods right where we had seen this thing, and he said, right up in there, right? And I said, yeah, something to that effect. Those aren't the exact words. I can't remember exactly what the words were. but um, And I said, yeah, and he said, well, he said, I think it's still there. Um, he said, but it's it's crouched down. He said, you know, kind of behind a, a bush or something up there. And, and so I looked in my night vision, and, and lo and behold, that son of a gun was still there. And uh, so, you know, I forget, I think, uh, what the heck did I say? That son of a gun is still there or something. I yelled out. But anyway, uh, 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 the rest of the uh, team got back to base camp, and they formulated a plan to uh, uh, go up and see if they could get a better look at this thing. And and so they started, uh, there was four of them, I believe it was four or five of them, and they, they uh, started uh, leaving base camp and going up, up uh, to, towards where this thing was, you know, just inside the tree line there. And as they were uh, heading towards it, I could see from my vantage point, uh, like tree branches and, and bushes and stuff moving all the way up over the top of this ridge line, and it just disappeared. But that was really, uh, and that's, you know, that's the night that I sat on the edge of the uh, the uh, uh, mattress and, and just freaked out for the rest of the night. Yeah, but when when you actually got to witness it, was it still crouching or uh, was it uh, standing up? When I when I first saw it, it was standing up. It was it was on two legs, and it was it was a big son of a gun. It was, I'd say, every bit of seven seven and a half foot tall and very broad shouldered, uh, three and a half you know foot wide shoulders, you know, uh, big massive shoulders. And it appeared, you know, a lot of people will say that you know the creature didn't have any neck. Well, that's the way this appeared. But you have to understand that yes, they do have necks. But they do have these massive trapezoid muscles that kind of hide it and make it look like the the head is actually just sitting right square down on the shoulders. But that's the way this looked, and um, very interesting. I was standing there, and it would you know sway from side to side and stop, and it did that like three or four times. And then when I looked away and looked back, it, it appeared to be gone. Yeah, I have witnessed during my encounters, uh, you know, the swaying motion. What yeah. what do you think's behind the swing? Uh I mean, is this something that known primates do? Uh I mean, the swaying thing uh multiple 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 reports uh reflect that Sasquatch when seen is swaying. What's behind this? What's going on? I I I kind of speculate that it's trying to figure out what you're doing and it's it's kind of nervous, maybe nervous. Yeah. Uh swaying from side to side. Uh, you know, I've had people tell me, no, it's trying to blend in with the trees and sway like the trees. Well, that night there was no wind, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, it's not going to blend in with anything by swaying. So I think it, it's like a nervous impulse. Uh, you know, it's, it's looking at us and we're looking at it and it's just, you know, swaying from side to side as a nervous uh, reaction. Yeah, I, I would have to agree. I would have to agree with you. I, I really don't have any other expo- explanation, but uh, between my encounter and what I've heard tonight and multiple other encounters, uh, it's it's just kind of a, a nervous thing. Uh, it's swaying back and forth, you know, with and 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 utilizing a tree. Uh, during my encounter, this thing had its arm up on a tree, but it was still swaying back and forth. Uh, I won't say it was playing peekaboo, but it would, you know, go behind the tree and come out, go behind the tree and come out. Uh, uh-huh. But there's multiple reports out there where this thing's out in the open, swaying back and forth. Yeah, I I, I honestly believe that it's a nervous uh, reaction um, uh, because they're you know they're they're just as wary of us as you know 
uh, we are of uh, a lot of other creatures. In fact, I'm, I'm kind of wary of them myself. I, you know, I'd like to have a really good, good uh, look at a face, which I didn't get that night. Um, but I don't want to get that close. You know, I'd like to, you know, have a have a decent look from from a distance. But uh, a lot of people say they wouldn't mind having it from a car. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, you I, know, I uh, should give them their space. I agree. I agree. <clears throat> but uh, any other features uh, during your visual? Of course, we're talking looking through a therm. But any other features that stuck out to you as as profound or interesting? The length of the arms. Uh, the arms appeared to be, uh, you know, uh, a, a good deal longer than than those of uh, humans. Uh, and and you know that's another feature that that, that the great apes have. And um, and so I had a. I had a great uh, conversation one time with uh, Dr. Esteban Sarmiento. I'm sure you know who he is. And uh, we were talking about the length of the arms of, uh, say, like the gorillas and uh, the great apes. And, uh, and you know, we were talking about uh, how they can run so fast going uphill. And that has to do with the length of the arms and, and the legs. Uh, you know, there's kind of like a... It acts almost like a springboard the way the way their their uh, uh, you know bodily features uh, are you know the proportions of the arms and the legs and they can uh, Esteban told me he says you'll never outrun one going uphill he said they'll run you down so fast and then you you hear about all of the the sightings of Bigfoot going uphill so fast and mm. you know, that that's probably. Uh, another feature that you know they have the longer arms that, you know similar to a gorilla there again uh, you know is another uh, similarity uh, which would allow them to go uphill as fast as they go and so I did notice that it had those uh, longer arms yeah yeah great point about the uphill uh, yeah I, I would doubt <laughs> highly that we could outrun a fast watch going uphill as a bear or a cougar uh, sure. You know, I, I investigated a report several years ago with Gunnar Monson on a subject scene on a uh, logged hillside, uh, but it shot up this hillside in no time. And when we had gone out there, the guy said, you know, um, yeah, I'd seen this thing mid, mid-hill, and it shot up the hill and disappeared. Well, I, I, well I'm going to go up there. And I went up there, and it took me forever. There was, you know, uh, cut trees, um, logs laying everywhere it took me uh 15 minutes whereas it took this thing like two minutes uh so uh, they can, apparently they can really move they well it's their environment right i mean and that's how they're built and that's why uh we just get fleeting glimpses of these subjects i believe is because they're just built for the environment we are not <laughs> absolutely absolutely yeah we're we're at two opposite ends of uh, uh you know the spectrum when it comes to that what are your thoughts? You know, uh, what are your thoughts on Ness? Uh, you know, uh, there's been uh, I, I work with the Olympic Project, and we've come across some very interesting uh, nesting or bedding areas. Have you come across any interesting uh, nests or bedding areas? Or, um, I mean, what are your thoughts generally on how Sasquatch? Uh, I mean, do they nest or bed? Is that something they're capable of? Uh, we know gorillas do this. Yeah. Right. I think they may may come across, you know, you, or not come across, but I think they may uh, come up and, and make some type of uh, uh, bedding areas, you know, where they can rest and, and things like that. Uh, my wife and I, at one point, and in fact, it was the same place, same area, 
where I got hit in the head with the, the northern pecan. Uh, we came across an area that was just laying down flat, and there was it was it wasn't from a deer, uh, because there was a lot of uh, open, uh, moist soil around there, and you would have naturally seen uh, deer, you know, prints, the hoof prints and stuff. And so we didn't see any of that. We didn't see any other signs of um, uh, anything else. But this was probably an area, oh, six or eight feet by ten or twelve foot where it was uh, laying down. And, and I know deer deer make their beds and stuff like that, but I, I hadn't kind of had my doubts about that. But I've also come across uh, dome-shaped uh, structures. Uh, I did when I was a young boy. Um, uh, one of my friends and I, uh, we, in fact, my, my parents uh, lived out in the country, and, and, of course, I lived with them. But <laughs> uh, one of my buddies and I used to uh, go out and play in the woods all the time, and we came across this uh, structure one time, and it was a dome-shaped uh, structure, and it had an opening on one end, and it was probably about five foot wide, probably about four and a half foot, you know, high in the middle, and probably about ten foot long. And uh, we didn't, of course, you know, being a young you know, young kid at the time and, and not knowing any better, we just started using it as a, you know, ready-made fort. We always played in that thing. We played in it for about two weeks, and we went out one day and it was gone. And I think that that was some kind of a structure that, you know, they could have used for bedding or shelter, uh, you know, too. But, uh, you know, so many yeah. times you hear now that when, you know, humans uh, go around a structure like that, uh, the Squatch will come back and destroy it. And uh, we've seen yeah. that at, at our area, uh, R306, uh, a lot of the things that we've seen, uh, the stick structures and, and all that kind of stuff, we, we go back later and they're gone. Uh, they're just gone. So uh, I think that, uh, that 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 may have been some type of a bedding structure there as well. But. Yeah, I uh, I have you know referring back to uh, the element project to find you know it's this this nesting or bedding area it's pretty remote uh, and I have to I have to wonder in my head if I was a Sasquatch or you know any any animal out in the woods. Um, where is the best place to protect your young? If you're birthing or you have young, where's the best place to do it? And where are you going to hunker down? And that's kind of what uh, I took away from this bedding nesting area. I haven't been there. It was that it was perfect for an area, very well protected. Uh, nothing was going to come in there uh, without being being known. I mean, you're going to hear something a mile away. And so yeah. that to me was very interesting. Um, and so that's why I lead, you know, there's credence to this being possibly a Sasquatch or, you know, bedding area beside, you know, some of the hairs coming up unknown. And But the, uh, uh, I'm thinking along the lines of, of your research in Ohio, you know, why would Sasquatch uh, be in Ohio? You know, it, why, what's, what's there in Ohio that Sasquatch is going to um, travel through? Or, I mean, do you think Sasquatch resides there? year-round? Do they travel? I mean, what are your thoughts on migration, that sort of thing? Well, I think that some of them may move around more than others, uh, you know, especially the uh, the sub-adult males, you know, might move around more than others. Um, but, uh, you know, here, especially uh, in this general area, this, this whole area is just honeycombed with underground mine shafts, and they are everywhere. And the county engineers, uh, for the most part, don't know where over half of the entrances are. And so these creatures may be finding those and using them as shelter, you know, to, to you know, take shelter during the winter months and stuff. But um, I lost my train of thought. 
uh, what was the question again? <laughs> oh, just you know, uh, with with oh, why would Ohio they be here in Ohio? general? Okay, well, you know, yeah, we, I mean, you know, yeah. I know a lot of people think of Ohio as being a, a primarily a industrialized, uh, you know, uh, state, uh, but that's nothing could be further from the truth. We have a lot of forested area in Ohio. There are lakes and streams and ponds all over the place. Uh, There's an awful lot of farmland. You have corn, soybeans, uh, blueberries, uh, uh, just all kinds of uh, farm crops, uh, you know. And uh, we have all kinds of wildlife. wildlife. We have deer. Uh, We're starting to see uh, feral hogs move in, Uh, you know, turkey, pheasant, all kinds of stuff. And so there's all kinds of food here. Uh, yeah, you know, you got, I mean, I think that's why the Ohio grassman was coined because of some of those farmlands. Absolutely, yeah, and that's yeah. The thing came out of the uh, uh, well, they called it the, the grassman, and came out and grabbed that guy and started beating the heck out of him. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, uh, yeah, I have to agree. There's, you know, this is a, there. There are a lot of very rural, forested areas in Ohio that. Uh, a lot of people really wouldn't realize unless they were here to see it. Yeah, there's an area down Ohio. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was, was going to say, say there's an area got a tremendous down amount of reports. Tremendous yeah. amount of reports. Absolutely. Uh, down around Burroughs State Park, I never thought that, that, that that was so heavily forested, but my wife and I took a trip down there, uh, I think it was two years ago. And uh, we stayed for several days in a cabin down there. And we, when we were on our way home, uh, I ha- had to actually stop my truck, and I was looking in total awe for miles and miles and miles out over this uh, valley was nothing but trees and forested area. And so there are thousands and thousands of acres of, uh, you know, uh, uh, of land that, you know, these, these creatures could inhabit. Yeah, Ohio truly... Um, it is amazing, uh, and and you know, if, for those who've never been there, it's hard for them to fathom Sasquatch being there. But you guys have loads of animals, uh, oh, yeah. and waterways, and and forested areas. It's it's just it's um, until you've been there, you really don't you can't fathom uh, that. And it makes perfect sense Sasquatch would be in these areas. Do you think? Do you think Dan Sasquatch migrate, or, or do you think they they uh, inhabit an area full time? I, I don't think that they stay in the exact same area full time. I think that they go to areas that are are more uh, uh, adaptable, uh, if that's what you want to call it, to stay uh, through the winter months. Uh, but you know, like our area uh, 306, uh, uh, during the winter months we have no activity whatsoever. It's the spring and summer uh, months that we get the activity, and, and mostly in the fall, uh, this time of year. Uh, the activity should be, you know, picking up pretty good there. But then, uh, let's say uh, the end of next month, uh, it'll just die. There will be nothing. And uh, and I think they move away uh, to some spot where, you know, uh, they have a better opportunity for shelter. Um, and, uh, you know, they, I, I believe that they possibly stockpile food, uh, you know, uh, especially in the fall, you know, because they're, you know, they're probably harvesting corn, you know, they're getting corn and, and, and all these other crops, and they're probably stockpiling at some place so that they can get through the winter. That's not to say that they don't come out, because we know they do. Uh, but uh, 
you know, they probably come out and, and, and snatch up a deer here and there, and but for the most part, they're they're hunkered down. Mm-hmm. What about offspring? You know, uh, I look at orangutans and. You know, their gestation period, you know, and whatnot. And, and they, they get birth up once every eight to nine years. I have to assume um, that Sasquatch are probably similar with their gestation period and breeding, the breeding population, that they don't give birth every year. I would assume that it's, you know, it's, it's mul- you know multiple years before they give birth. Uh, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Have you got any idea? I, I have to agree with you on that, and, and, and the reason is if, if they were breeding every year, they'd be everywhere. You know, they'd be absolutely right. everywhere, and, you know, people would be seeing them on a daily basis, but that's not the case. And I don't believe that the population is nearly as large as a lot of people think they are, you know, think it is. Yeah. So uh, I, I agree with you on that. I think that every, you know, several years they may breed, but uh, certainly not every year or, or, or even multiple times a year. Yeah. And, and, you know, if we're looking at primates, um, you know, they have, you know, two nipples just like, or, you know, uh, right. uh, like humans. And, and so sure. you would, you guesstimate, estimate that they would give birth to one or two uh, uh, infants rather than multiple. Because once again, like you said, there'd be a, a lot more Sasquatch roaming around. Uh, sure. I would assume, once again, assumption, hypothesis, that they give birth to one or two uh, at tops. Right. Yeah, yeah over yeah, over a period of, you know, anywhere like you said, you know, any three to five years maybe, four, you know, six years, uh, but uh, yeah. not certainly not, uh, you know, as often as humans do. Uh, right, and that's why I think hypothesizing, we get certain vocals and certain activity. Uh, it seems to peak, you know, ever so often. And mm-hmm. maybe it's intertwined with 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 mating. Um, there's a female that's you know ready, uh, whatnot. Uh, during certain times that you get this influx of activity or howls or whoops or whatever, because it does seem to peak. It's not uh, every year. It seems like the certain times a year during certain years that it peaks. And I, I assume that it may have something to do with that. I I, I have to agree. Um, I really do. Yeah. There was there was one year where we were hearing vocalizations all the time, and uh, I haven't heard anything like that since. And that's been about four years ago. And I, you know, I've heard vocalizations, but nothing like we heard that one year. I mean, we were hearing them all the time. Uh, in fact, this just this uh, June, uh, right after a, a really bad thunderstorm, we were at Beaver Creek State Park and. Um, we were uh, doing some research and stuff down there, and, and there was a really bad storm. Well, there was another couple with us from New York, uh, Lori and Bill uh, Anderson, and, and, and they knew that this storm was coming in, so they got out of Dodge, and they went to a motel. Well, my wife and I stayed hunkered down in, in our uh, camper, and I had the back window open to the camper, and, and I kept hearing noises out the back of the camper, you know, off in the distance. And I, I told my wife, I said, I'm hearing something out here. I'm hearing something out here. And and so I, I, I grabbed it. I have a Tascam DR05 recorder. So I put that in the back window of the camper. And uh, about 10 or 15 minutes after this really nasty uh, thunderstorm went through, I got a vocalization. 
and it's very faint, but it echoes down through a valley um, that's on the backside of where our campground was. But that's the only vocalization I have heard in a long time. Uh, so, but the, like you yeah. said, it peaked in that one year. Yeah, I think it's very interesting. I think, you know, that's why it's so important. You know, everybody, everybody we're living in the days of reality TV, everything wants the here and now. I think it's very important that um, you have an area of interest of research that you you uh, you sit down in. You really get to know the area, and you do research over several years, if not right. decades, to really understand what's going on. Unfortunately, um, you know, it's so uh, this sort of research is very difficult. It's uh, um, tedious, time-consuming, but doing research in these areas uh, and getting, you know, uh, you know, like you said, maybe every four years you get an influx or six years you get an influx of locals. Well, right. that's patterns, you know, and, and, and patterns uh, are, uh, with any known animal, are, are very important to uh, uh, catalog. Sure. Absolutely. I've had people ask me, you know, do you do you go here, do you go there, do you travel to this state or that state? or, And, and, and my answer is no. Why would I want to go someplace else when we have this activity right here? You know, something that I can research right here. Uh, you know, so, uh, you know, and staying here and, like you said, becoming familiar with your area and, and everything around it is very important. So uh, I don't I don't travel around. We have other people in other states that do research and right. and report to us what they find and, uh, you know, in other countries, actually, uh, as well. So uh, there's no reason really for me to go anywhere else and, and uh, uh, do any research because I have it right here and who's who's to say that maybe next year we don't have another great influx of activity uh, so exactly no I, I believe what you're doing is is uh, justified and you're you're doing things the right way uh, I think it's important to get to know your areas and really uh you know when you think you know them get to know them some more uh that's so important but what are your thoughts on uh on uh, Animal, known animals interacting with Sasquatch. You know, a lot of reports uh, in encounters, uh, people talk about coyote activity, uh, ravens and crow activity. Uh, mm -hmm. Have you come across any of those reports or witnessed anything in person uh, to that note? Yeah, we've noticed that. Uh, we noticed uh, uh, before when there's uh, Sasquatch activity in an area uh, that, that shortly after the uh, the activity uh, dies off, uh, there's, there's a pack of coyotes uh, not too far away, and they just go nuts. And uh, they all, there always seems to be coyotes in an area where there's a Sasquatch uh, uh, um, uh, sighting or, or activity. And I think it's because, you know, if a Sasquatch makes a kill, you know, we, we, we speculate that all they eat is the hearts and livers. And then you have a pack of coyotes coming along to clean up everything else. So I think that's why, you know, you have so much coyote activity because, you know, they're just waiting for a kill and they're, they're going to go in and clean up the mess. Uh, and then you hear about the uh, the crows and the ravens and stuff, and uh, you know the owls, and especially a barred owl. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people say that the, you know they hear something that sounds like a barred owl, but they know it's not a barred owl. Um, so uh, uh, you know, and I've heard the barred owls out there, and and uh, you know, I knew that it was a barred owl, but that they're. Huh. They they seem to mimic the the barred owls and the crows and things like that and and for reasons I don't fully understand. Right, yeah, there does seem to be that uh, 
that mimic, you know, this to right. uh, these encounters. And a simian relationship possibly with Sasquatch, or uh, sorry, with coyotes uh, being involved. And, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, you just you ponder it and you catalog it and you just you wonder. But I, I have to admit, uh, between what some of the things I've experienced personally and the reports I've taken in and whatnot, that coyotes do seem to hang around Sasquatch possibly. Uh, and uh-huh. your point, your point about the uh, cleanup crew uh, is perfect. I also, I wonder, um, you know, I've seen, you know, dogs eat other um, other uh, feces from other animals. Uh, I wonder if coyotes, you know, get some sort of protein or something from eating Sasquatch feces. I mean, that sounds disgusting, but. You know, you know. Uh, I would assume we'd find more possible Sasquatch piles. I mean, I find bear scat uh, not frequently, but I do find it, and I do find some weird scat piles that uh, I don't know what exactly it is. It looks bare, but not quite. And uh, I wonder if uh, you know coyotes kind of uh, just fall trot and you know maybe uh, have a meal. I don't know. Well, just like you said, we know that there are animals, other dogs, and. Uh, uh, other animals that that will eat feces, and I know that uh, uh, young uh, animals will eat uh, uh, the feces from their their uh, parents, uh, uh, and it gives them a, a build up to their immune system. So, uh, I, you know, possibly that 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 is a possibility that, that you know uh, coyotes or whatever uh, may do that, and, and you know there again, you know, it may give them some kind of um, a nutritional uh, uh, you know uh, boost in one way or another. So uh, that that does kind of make a little bit of sense as well. Yeah, you know, fascinating. Well, uh, Dan, i got to ask you, uh, and you, I think you touched upon this earlier, but given your years of research, what you've witnessed, what you've experienced, and everything else, do you, what do you think Sasquatch is? I mean, do you have a do you have do you lean one way or the other? I mean, do you have a good idea of what you're dealing with, or are you still in the category of I have no idea? Or I mean, is there a leniency there? Oh, no, I'm I'm leaning towards this being a, a an undiscovered hominid or hominoid. Um, uh, and, and you know, there was there was a time when you know years ago that I I was uh, you know looking at uh, the Gigantopithecus uh, uh, thing, but that seemed to be a little bit more. Uh, unfeasible, you know, you know. So I, I, I began uh, studying the uh, paleoanthropology and primatology, and and the more I study it, the and the more I look at the, the, the you know, the different reports and and uh, of things. I'm leaning towards this being a type of undiscovered hominid or hominoid. Um, you know, like we discussed a little bit earlier. Uh, where paranthropus may have uh, uh, interbred with another species and just evolved along its own uh, line uh, of the evolutionary, evolutionary tree, uh, a parallel to possibly us. Gotcha. No, fascinating, fascinating stuff, Dan. Uh, before we end the show, I want to touch upon two things. One is that you are also a very talented artist. I've seen many of your sculptures. Uh, what's going on there? And, uh, you know, I mean, are those available to the public for sale? Well, I, I was making them and selling them for a while, but I've taken a rather long hiatus from doing any kind of sculpting. In fact, my wife wants me to make her a clown, but <laughs> I haven't done that yet either. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I have uh, uh, have taken a, a, a break from that, but if, if I get back into it, yeah, they will definitely be for sale. Yeah, you, 
have made many fantastic sculptures. I mean, uh, really <laughs> awesome stuff. Uh, and I give them names, which I like. <laughs> yeah, in, in fact, uh, uh, the baby uh, Bigfoot that I made, uh, I don't know if you've seen it or not. I call him Baby Skookum. Uh, yes. He is the uh, main <laughs> character in a children's book that I co-wrote with a gentleman named uh, Scott Berry from uh, New Mexico and the artist uh, Rob Roy Menzies from Alaska. Uh, yeah. And so that's for sale right now on Amazon. So if anybody's interested in a, in a children's Bigfoot book, go to Amazon.com and look for uh, uh, Sasquatch Mountain, The Quest for the Magic Cloak. That was my second point. You touched upon it. Uh, real quick, what what – what uh, what was your desire to write a, a children's book? Uh, it's it's uh, it's I love the front cover. I've yet to read it. Uh, I'm a five year old. I will be purchasing it. So I'm just curious as to w- w- why this came to be. Well, you know what? My wife was after me for a long time to write a children's uh, book about Bigfoot, and I and I didn't do it, and didn't do it, and didn't do it. And so I, uh, my longtime friend, that actually a lifetime friend, is uh, Scott Berry. I uh, went to school him uh, with him uh, uh, all the way from grade school. We graduated together, and then after uh, we graduated, we went our separate ways. And uh, I, I got reacquainted with Scott, and we were talking one day on the Internet, and, and I said, you know what, Scott? Uh, Scott is already a published writer of children's books. And I said, you know what, Scott? We should you know, get together and write uh, a series of uh, children's Bigfoot books. And he said, you know, that's a good idea. So uh, we started, uh, you know, putting all of our thoughts and ideas together, and and I came up with the idea of uh, using Baby Skookum, and uh, uh, we came up with the uh, the the idea of these uh, uh, Baby Skookum and his uh, little uh, uh, cohort, if that's what you want to call her, and she is named after Bob Gimlin. Uh, we call her Gimme, and uh, uh-huh. those two go on a quest for the magic cloak. And they get into all kinds of trouble and, and all kinds of things on their quest for the magic cloak. And then, uh, you know, one book will lead right into uh, uh, another book. And, uh, in fact, we're working on a second book now. And uh, uh, it's going to be a whole series of them. But it was my my wife, you know, is the one that, that pushed me to start uh, doing that kind of thing. So uh, oh. that's where that came fantastic. from. Fantastic. Yeah, fantastic. And I encourage those that have little ones to – it, it, uh, I've heard great feedback from the book, and uh, look forward to uh, the uh, you know following up books uh, as a series. It's uh, very uh, <laughs> very it's just awesome, and uh, something the little ones can get you know get them interested in the subject matter. So, uh, Dan, yeah, and, and you know uh, we try to, yeah. we try to put some uh, kind of uh, accepted uh, uh, Bigfoot research in there as, as well. You know, so it's kind of an educational kind of thing, too. And in, in, in the first book, we actually have Bob Gimlin in there. And uh, book number two, we're going to have uh, Dr. Meldrum in there. And it's going to be, uh, you know, they're going to be uh, going down into a place called Cougar Valley. So uh-huh. and they're going to meet Dr. Meldrum down there someplace. So uh, uh, that's, that's going to be, the uh, you know, one of the things in the second book. Awesome. Well, real quick, uh, what's in your, uh, beside the... Um a following up book on your children's book. What's in the future for Dan Baker? Uh, I think I'm going to take a little bit of a break. In fact, I know I, I, I can't go into the field like I used to. I just can't. Uh, right. My physical health is, is just not well enough. I'm not, you know, well enough to be able to do the trekking through the woods anymore. So uh, my main focus will be uh, 
doing research online and, and uh, studying the uh, uh, primatology and, and uh, paleoanthropology and, and uh, you know, still working with others who are in the field. I will still go to base camp, uh, but I just can't do the walking. But uh, uh, I'm going to, you know, focus primarily on uh, the uh, uh, early hominids and the primates to, to continue uh, to try and piece this mystery together. Oh, fantastic, Dan! I want to Dan, I want to thank you for joining us here on Monsters Radio. I really look forward to um, your future endeavors and what's coming out of the American Primate Exploration Group. A uh, lot of fascinating stuff, and uh, following you closely. And just want to thank you again for joining us here on Monsters Radio tonight. Well, well, Shane, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It was, uh, uh, you know, I had a great time, and, and uh, I really appreciate you and, and everybody else that's in, involved with uh, Monster X Radio. Oh, you bet, and I really enjoyed uh, picking your brain tonight and having a, uh, just a fantastic conversation on a, fa- you know, on a, a subject we both adamantly love. Uh, so thanks once again for joining us. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Have a great night, Dan. You too. Well, thanks, everybody, uh, for joining here us on Montrex Radio. Uh, Shane Corson going to sign out here, and next week we'll be back with another episode of Montrex Radio, and Gunnar Monson will be back with us. Uh, I'm sure we'll touch upon uh, his recent trip out with the uh, uh, Todd Neeson on the um, Sea Monkey trip, exploration trip, and so uh, I'm going to sign out here, but just want to thank everybody for listening this evening, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you all. Thank you.